Hello and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. I am your host who finally decided to show up for once here. Gary Morgan with me as always is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports and really whatever the hell else they want him to write. Corey <laughs> Christen, how you doing, brother? Gary, I'm, I'm great and uh, welcome back. I would like to welcome you back to your own show. Uh, we were... T- <laughs> Off camera, off microphone, talking about weddings before we started recording. Because that's where you were last week. You were up out of town for a wedding. And yep. it's that season. We are entering Memorial Day week. And I think it's like opening day of wedding season up until about like the sicko couples that do it college football season. <laughs> so I listen, I've been to weddings on college football Saturdays. If you do a wedding on college football Saturday, just know somebody out there, it might not be me, but somebody out there is resenting you for it. I'm just giving you a forewarning, those of you listening that are planning wedding dates and whatnot. Absolutely. On the other side, I got married in May and the Penguins were in the playoffs. So can't wait. Not, not can't great. <laughs> can't wait. Not great. You got to wait until about June or July when it's only pirates and then, you know. Yeah. Then you it's get married at the okay. All-Star break. How about that? Then it's usually okay. I would agree with you there. <laughs> So we got a few topics here to talk about, Corey. And the first one we wanted to touch on was Pitt getting a new commitment here for, for hoops, Papa Conte. Um, you know, this was somebody that had committed to Michigan, decommitted, ended up, you know, re-entering the, the consciousness of everybody and wound up picking Pitt. Tell the story, man. What do you think? Well, he signed with Michigan which is an even bigger deal. You know, he was in, he was locked into the national letter of intent and then wanted out of it, got a waiver to get out of it. You know, Michigan in that program, of course, we saw them play, you know, Pitt last year, beat the brakes off. And before Pitt realized, Hey, we can be good. And then he got good after that trip to Brooklyn. Um, You know, Michigan and his decommitment for Michigan, obviously Hunter Dickinson has moved on. He's gone to Kansas. He transferred out. They're kind of under a program rebuild. So, he wanted a fresh start somewhere and Pitt was not necessarily in the mix for him, but they were chasing him, you know, in his initial recruitment coming out right. of uh, high school in Connecticut, Senegal native uh, came over to play basketball in, in Connecticut at high school. And look this, and I'm just going to say it now, this is the best front court in the ACC. I, I mean, I've looked at all of them. Like there's ta- like, obviously like the Kyle Filipowski's of the world, like better players, individual players. But when I look at the hole and I look at the depth and I look at the players and the mixes and matches that Jeff Capel or really any coach could put on the floor, I think Pitt now has the best front court in the ACC. And this is going to be a one that can grow for the next two and three years when you think of Federico, the Twins, yeah. and of course now Papa Conte. Like, there are so many different things that Jeff Cable can do with this front court. And of course, that's not even going into the Blake Hinsons and Zach Austin and, you know, the small forwards of Will Smith and right. Will Smith, Will Jeffers, excuse me. I don't know why I thought Will Smith there. I watched a little Fresh Prince the other day. But the point <laughs> is, um, lengthy center can really get up and down the floor, athletic, um, not like a big presence by any means. You know, he's not, he's not girthy, but, you know, really good length down underneath, you know, a la Federico, really good length down underneath. And, you know, it kind of surprised me that it, the next get was a center because two open scholarships left at the time. Now it's one. I thought two guards were going to be like the next on the checklist, but, you know, obviously some targets, you know, come and go to other places. And this is Jeff Cable going back into the well for a player. He really did chase coming out of high school. So I love the get. 
I love it for now. I love it for two years. I love it for three years. I, I just think that this recruiting class is really rock solid. When you look at the three, four stars that are coming in with it, I believe 24 seven or rivals or on three, whoever had it, had them as the top 30 recruiting class now in all of college basketball and, and up there with the powers in the ACC. I mean, if you believe your own writing, it's on three. I, I'll okay. go with that. I mean, I trust you. I think you're pretty <laughs> accurate most of the time. It was on three, so. yeah. But I got to it eventually. I mean, this is the case really of um, best available almost, you could say. Not not that this is a draft, but if you have an opportunity to secure yourself a four-star recruit, no matter what you have there, no matter what you have going on, you go get that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily... I wouldn't be comforted by it if I'm Federico Federico, I would say, because he, he was starting to come on too, but this kid's already got more mass than him. Mm-hmm. This to me is more of a, I guess, caution. You know, you're talking about Federico throwing a little caution to the wind. To me, this is more caution about Jorge Diaz Graham. In my opinion, I think he will be the odd man out. So to speak, when it comes to at least the five position, at yeah. this point. Now, when it comes to the four, and, and obviously Jeff Capel has the ability to sort this out between is Blake Hinson going to play the three or the four? Is Zach Austin going to start? Is Ish Leggett going to run the two? Like all the way down to that. But when it comes to the five now, it feels like it's just Federico with Papa Conte backing him up. When you look at the four, it could be Blake Hinson, it could be Guillermo, and then you have Jorge in the mix too. So really, like those five are, are just in a solid mix in a rotation right now. And another thing that stood out to me, and I'm glad you brought this up about if you could get a four star, they get a four star, right? Right. I thought these, again, two scholarships open before Papa Conte comes in. I thought they were both going to be transfers, you know, going to the motif of last year of Jeff Capel really hammering the portal and really finding these talented players. Now I will say, you know, if you look at some of the athletes that Pitt has contacted that Pitt hosted, you know, Noah Thomason being number one, he goes to Georgia, but that was a swing and a miss on a transfer, the Niagara guard. That was a swing and a miss. So you got to readjust, you got to reconfigure and go back into your board and everything and, and make no mistake about it. This is a Tim O'Toole project. You know, this is a Tim O'Toole classic right sure. here, you know, recruiting the Northeast, recruiting big men, developing big men. This is Tim O'Toole right here. So look, as you said, if you could get a four star, get a four star. Now this class is adding two guards in Jalen Lowe and, and Carlton Carrington. You add along a Dior Johnson who hasn't played college basketball yet. You add along Marlon Barnes and then you have your fifth right there with Papa Conte. So effectively, if you really want to stretch this statement, I, I, I will stretch this statement right now. Jeff Cable got a whole starting five, like with this recruiting class. So not he now, not well now obviously. Not he now, may, no, obviously. He may very well have, but I, I think that might be what I like most right now, Corey, is I feel like they have a little bit of a veteran base, meaning guys who have been here. There's a basis for this is the University of Pittsburgh basketball team already. This is our mm-hmm. core. And they're welcoming all these guys in. There's really no like have to performs except for Dior Johnson, I would say. He's the one that you kind of have to have step in there. Mm-hmm. As far as this year's concerned, yes, when yes. it comes to the freshmen. That, that's an absolute guarantee. The guarantee of the freshmen, as far as playing is concerned, is Dior is going to play, and he's going to probably start. 
Now, how much Carlton Carrington or Jalen Lowe, Marlon Barnes, or Papa Conte play? Obviously to be determined, but there's also depth in front of them. There's no rush for either of them to play either. Not that there's an immediate rush for Dior to play, but also there kind of is because there's not a true point guard on the roster other than maybe an ish legged if you really want to put him at the one, but I think he's more of a two. Yeah. So it's it's really good depth on the front court that's gonna bleed over into the back court. And now with one scholarship open, I think that that a necessity at this point, we've been screaming it from the heavens for the last month and a half, is for Jeff Capel to grab that three-point shooter. Somebody take to take the load off of Blake Hinson. Doesn't want to force Dior Johnson to have to start shooting and chucking be, up three. It'd be really, really solid, too, if that three-point shooter could also play point guard in a pinch. Because mm-hmm. I, I'm not comfortable with only having Dior Johnson have to perform there. And I know they have other guys who could technically slide over, but mm-hmm. I don't see a true ball handler in there. And I'd love to see that too. So we'll, we'll look at last year, right? We, we had a discourse about, okay, Nellie Cummings is the starting point guard, but who else handles the basketball? It became Jamarius Burton as kind of the secondary point guard. And then off the bench, it was a Nike Sabandi that was able to handle the ball pretty well. So, Jeff Capel had a really nice luxury last year of being able to really give the ball to one of three players at any given time. And quite frankly, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but basically at every juncture, every second, every millisecond of a basketball game, one of Nelly, JB, or Nike were on the floor. So there wasn't like a displacement of, you know, who's going to handle at this possession? How are they going to do it with the depth? How is he going to mix and match so someone can handle the basketball? I I think what you're saying about Dior is correct. You know, Dior is is the primary ball handler, but I don't know as of this moment who that secondary ball handler really is. Is it going to be a Jalen Lowe? Is it going to be an Ish Leggett? And and if Ish Leggett draws out to Jamarius Burton like we think he can, and like the, I think that would be a ceiling for him, then maybe he does take on some ball handling duties. So fascinating way for Jeff Cable to kind of round out this class with a Papa Conte. Great get, great center, you know, good prospect, but... I, I still think that one missing piece is still out there and, and right. he needs to go out there and get it for his backcourt. And we got to take a quick break here, but suffice to say next year, we should not be watching six guys dominate the minutes. But it sounds to me like the depth is at least 10 deep and we should see a lot of those guys play. So mm-hmm. good stuff. Let's take a quick break. And uh, for you guys watching on video, that's going to be us sitting here looking goofy for a couple seconds for audio real break. You can take a sip of the iced coffee, too. And we are back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Please subscribe to this channel. Please like this podcast. We would love to grow our pit channel uh, because when games get started, Corey is going to be doing all kinds of of video work. (laughs) You know it. He's going to be chopping videos up and sending everything Capel says to you on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed to this so you don't miss any of that. It's good stuff. And by the way, a quick basketball note before we move on to um, what Pat Narduzzi said. Did you see the zoo crew is back for the the basketball tournament? That's that's one I wanted to hit. 
Levance Fields, Greg Elliott, Nike Sabandi, Gilbert Brown, you know, Nelly Cummings. It's a nice little crew they have going on to that summer, of course, alumni tournament. I, I'm sorry, folks. I have to root for the Army, Bayheim's Army, as, as you all know. But I love the roster for the Zoo crew, and I'm going to be all about it once the basketball tournament starts. So that's that's a quick note I wanted to hit on basketball before we switched over to football. No, I'm super happy to hear LeVance coming back. He was one of my favorites. So good to see. Mm-hmm. So Pat Narduzzi has decided, because he always does, that he's going to uh, toss shade at someone for misusing, in his mind, the portal that he secretly kind of doesn't really like to begin with, yet uses on his own. It's no secret, Gary. And his... <laughs> His his coach mate across the the basketball court there is living in a glass house as Pat Narduzzi throws rocks at it <laughs> because you know he completely remade his basketball team through the portal right and got them into the tournament last year which was certainly exciting for this school mm-hmm. but apparently that's not the way Dion Sanders should handle it now there's a couple angles to this story and I'll let you read the quotes if you like but. <laughs> Do you want me to do that? <laughs> I, I think we, we, we'll read parts of them, I'm sure. But there's a couple so, angles to this story. And, and when you really like break into the quotes, I think first he starts out kind of just chastising him for how he went about using the portal. But then at the same time, I think there's something to be said for what he was talking about with not throwing off guys for athletic ability when they're already on scholarship and whatnot. So there's a couple angles here we, that I think we should touch on. So let's let's just lay out, okay, since you brought it up. Let's lay out what Pat Narduzzi said. And, and I'm going to direct quote here, okay? Quote, that's not the way it's meant to be. That's not what the rule intended to be. It was not to overhaul your roster. We'll see how it works out. But that, to me, looks bad on college football across the country. The reflection is on one guy right now, but when you look at it overall – those kids have moms and dads and brothers and sisters and goals in life. I don't know how many of those 70 that left really wanted to leave or they were kicked in the butt to get out. So, okay. Glass houses, <laughs> right? Right. As you mentioned. So number one, players are allowed to come and go as they please, right? That's the whole crux of the transfer portal. That yep. Pat Narduzzi uses it. Everybody uses it. And Pat Narduzzi, this is not the first instance in which he has blasted the transfer portal. Or another coach's use of it, Jordan Addison. Yes. But that was another aspect of tampering and recruiting and going through it and everything. This is the opposite, quite frankly. It's about, you know, players going now and the in the means by which players leave. And Pat Narduzzi has had players transfer out, but that's not necessarily to say, and this is all closed door stuff for him to say, you're not, you don't have a spot here get out. I'm not saying he's done that. I don't think he has done that. But players leaving, it's not that. It, it Generally speaking, is not that. It may be pl- players seeing the writing on the wall. Sure. Or players seeing a, a recruiting class coming in and it's obviously going to eat into their time or mm-hmm. their opportunity. Or maybe they have a chance to go a little closer to where they're from, Mm -hmm. or maybe there's a school that they really wanted to go to in the first place and they didn't necessarily know they were good enough, but now they do. And 
I mean, the transfer portal is used differently for different people. I think the crux of Narduzzi's argument here in this first quote anyway, because he, he continues unbelievably is that is it, is it believably? <laughs> no, it's not, but, <laughs> but I mean, the crux of his argument here is it, it's okay. If everybody transfers, but you went in there and kind of made everybody transfer. You basically went in there and forced people out the door. That's what, that's his accusation. And, mm-hmm. and the video that Dion posted of him basically telling everybody, most of you aren't going to be here it's pretty compelling evidence that that's what he did. Right. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. There's, there's obviously aspects where Pat Narduzzi has a point and there's obviously aspects of this where he's kind of speaking out of there. Right. And again, not the first time Pat Narduzzi has blasted the transfer portal or another school's use of it. And it's an unholy process in a way to begin with. Right. I mean, it is, it is literally free agency. Now, albeit it is not tampered with in a legal sense, and I put that into old infamous air quotes, because there is some legal tampering in certain sports where, you know, there could be contact, there could be, hey, we have permission to visit here, we have permission to interview this guy, you know, when it comes to at least front office personnel, right? But when it comes to college football players, you know, this has to be made the decision at least has to be made by the player to transfer out, to transfer in, to go wherever they please. And quite frankly, it goes back to the recruiting. Now, Coach Prime getting hired by Colorado is amazing for college football. It's amazing for the Pac-12. I'm not going to downplay how you know the significance of the impact that Deion Sanders has already put in on the Colorado program. But this is where I think Pat Narduzzi has some of a point. You have all of these players transfer in, right? Whether they came from Jackson State, whether they came from another Power Five, whether they committed as freshmen, whatever it was, to go play for Coach Prime, to do this really cool new thing that Coach Prime is establishing in Colorado. And by the way, like he did okay at Jackson State as far as actually winning football games. So I don't know how it's going to translate to Colorado right away. Maybe they win seven games. Maybe they win eight games. Maybe they win four games. We don't know. That's like the big mystique of this whole thing. We don't know if Colorado football is going to be good. We can say based on the prospects they've got in that they're going to be good, but then you have 70 players transfer out after this whole process. Like, again, the grass isn't always greener, and we've had players, think of Le'Veon Bell recently with his, uh, you know, talking about leaving the Steelers. Like, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's not always the best idea to go into the portal, to go to this other place. And that's nothing new to Pat. He said that before he said that last year when we were talking about the portal and we were talking about players coming in and out. So like, I get it where he's coming from and I'm not saying, you know, he's done that to other players where it's, Hey, you don't have a spot here. I'm not saying he's done it. I'm not saying he has it because I don't know. That's a closed door thing. So unless he truly knows something or knows someone in the Colorado program or has talked to any of these players that have transferred out of Colorado, that's it's either he's got that from them or this is him just with his own viewpoints again, which it very well could be. I, well, I mean, first, again, do we have like enough evidence to convict that that Deion Sanders basically told a bunch of guys to get out? No. 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 But do we have enough to 
believe that it's very likely? Yes, we yep. absolutely do. Yep. So, I mean, he continues. He says, I grew up in a profession that you can't tell a guy that he has to leave based on athletic ability. I think he'll be shocked that he probably has some pretty good football players in that room. That is part of it that I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit. Mm-hmm. How does he know what he has in that room? Like, how did he, like, they didn't even have a practice before he was already telling people they were gone. There's not even tape on some of these kids. I know that because some of the kids that were told they didn't have a place and spoke to the media already were talking about not being able to get a hold of any of their practice tape because he basically said no. So I, I just, I don't know necessarily. Um, how you go in and make all those decisions right away. 70 people means like Corey, just it's a you, roster. You, you cover this stuff. P- a lot of people don't think of college football rosters, the way that they actually are. You know, you see the guys on the sideline, you're not seeing all the guys that don't even dress. Mm-hmm. These are huge organizations, huge yeah. teams. 70 is a gigantic chunk. It's a roster. There's no way he knew everything about those 70 players. And not only that, there's no way that he... I sh- let me backtrack this. L- let me rephrase this. I'm sorry. I'm going to say there's no way that he... Like, I'm not going to say took the time because he, he had to have at some point taken the time to at least talk to or get to know these players on some level. But what what percentage of not just the 70, but the those that remain there now, actually had a tangible, legitimate shot at making this roster. You right. know? I'm not going to say that he didn't go out to, to meet everybody and to get to know them, but how many of those did he legitimately give a chance to yeah. is, is another huge aspect to all of this. And look, using Pitt's roster as an example, okay? Like, we know Dejon Reynolds and Kanate Mumfield and Bub Means are your top three wide receivers. Like, any wide receiver that comes here is going to have to fall in line. We know Phil Dracovic is quarterback one. We know Christian uh, Christian Veyer and Nate Yarnell are competing for quarterback two. We know Ty Diefenbach is quarterback four. Like, if you're coming here as a quarterback, you just have to know that. There are things that you as a player just have to know. You know, not everyone gets the golden goose. Not everyone is the golden goose. Not everyone right. gets that chance to immediately play right away just because they think they're entitled to do it. That is a huge aspect that and Pat Narduzzi has talked about that, right? You know, you can't just go transfer somewhere and expect to play right away. Like you have to find a fit for yourself. You know, Charlie Partridge talked about it. I, I forget the name of the podcast, but he talked about it earlier this week about, you know, Pitt might pu- not pull in four and five stars every year, like Ohio state and Clemson and Georgia do. But what they do is they find players that fit their system. If a transfer right. wants to come play football at Pitt, they have to fit Charlie Partridge, Pat Narduzzi, Randy Bates' system. That's just how this whole thing works. They also get to eat off of the droppings from the bird feeder, though. Like They're the birds that don't have to land on the bird feeder. They land underneath it and eat what everyone else is dropping. Because if Ohio State pulls in six or seven four-stars next year and they don't have a place for two of them to play, well, you can expect they're going to hit the transfer portal next year. And then Pitt picks up a scrap four-star, basically. Jamison Williams. There's a name yeah. for you. Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams was in a, in a Ohio State wide receivers room with Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Garrett Wilson. 
Hello, three yeah. first round draft pick wide receivers in front of him. He goes to Alabama and becomes the number 12 pick in the draft. He was the odd man out at Ohio State. Like that is that's how that works. That's exactly the case in point of what you're talking about. That's how it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that's when the, that's when it's good for the game and good for the players. When I think this situation has has brought up first, I'm never going to call him Coach Prime. I hate that. I hate that. He's Deion Sanders. Like I just he like Prime ended when his NFL career ended to me. I I'm not I'm not down with that. I'm not going to give him that one word superstar name. I'm sorry. It doesn't bother me that much. He's a coach now. I want to see what he can do as a coach. And I, I liked what he did at Jackson State. I actually think he was pretty innovative with his offense. I mean, who would know better how to beat a defense than one of the ar- arguably the best defender that ever played the game? One of them. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love what he what I think he can bring to the table. I do think that this had a little bit of this is going to probably be a weird way to say it, but this had a little bit of a I'm a pro, I've been there, done that type way of approaching taking over a college program. Mm-hmm. It does rub me the wrong way that you go in there and just dismiss all that team. Pro I understand. Football, but pro football and college football are not the same business. No, they're not. But I understand he wants instant success and everything. But think about how many kids live in Colorado that were on that roster that like, that's their dream school. Yeah. And they made that team and they're so proud of the, you know, they were going to fight for that. Like you wouldn't believe, especially like they get this great new coach. They're probably excited. Then he comes in the door and the first thing he tells them is, yeah, I didn't recruit you. I don't know who you are. I don't care what you've done. You're probably not going to be here in, in two weeks. Just FYI. Let's get started that way. I, yep. I mean, hey, hard knocks, right? You know, you want to you want to go anywhere in college football, or you want to go to the pros? Even you're going to deal with that stuff. I I think it was a little distasteful, personally. I didn't like the video, especially. That's that's a curtain that I don't think needed lifted for anybody. That's a that's a terrible moment uh, that I don't think we needed to see. <laughs> now, look, every school has their way of doing it. And quick point before we go to another break because we need to, like. Every coach runs their ship differently, right? Pat Narduzzi runs his ship a a totally different way than Nick Saban runs it. Nick Saban runs it from a different way. Kirby Smart runs it. Kirby Smart runs it from a different way. Deion Sanders will run Colorado. So if that is the message that Colorado football, the institution of Colorado, not just Deion Sanders, not, you know, whatever coach, whoever it is, not the AD, not the, not the um, coaching staff, if that's the message that Colorado football wants to put into the universe, then they have every right to do that. Is that the right thing to do? Is that appropriate? Is that tasteful in a way? Probably not. In a similar light that you're saying, them putting a video out to say, you're not one of us. We don't yeah. think of you as one of us. You you weren't recruited here to be one of us. And by us, I mean the identity that Deion Sanders wants Colorado to be part of the old regime. Then get out, you know, like that's distasteful to do. And all the players that committed and signed to play football at Colorado, whether they're 
five star, four star, two star, whatever it is, at some point, a power five football coach, whether it was Deion Sanders or I forget the old coach's name, told them, yes, you are good enough to play here. We will offer you a scholarship to play here. So that was a, that was a decision made on a determination by an expertise, a coach with expertise. So look, there's points, there's valid points to what Pat Narduzzi is saying. And then there's some of the, you know, old man yells a cloud in there and you can definitely tell which is which in this. They're both fun though. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little more. Right, and we are back to the HTP podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you. Corey, let's wrap up the show talking about Pat Narduzzi because, you know, we, we laugh about his comments, but he's starting to feel comfortable, um, and I mean real comfortable, not only just speaking for Pitt, but speaking for the coaching profession at this point. You know, he, he seems to be an elder statesman in his mind, at least. And he's been at Pitt for a long time. And I used to think that Pitt was a stepping stone school. I really did. I I always thought of it as a a place where you kind of went to get somewhere else as a coach goes. But Pat Narduzzi has maybe flipped the script on that a little bit. I don't get the impression that there is a dream job for him besides Pitt at this point. It seems to me like he's totally drank the Kool-Aid become a Pittsburgher, loves the school, loves the place. I I don't see him necessarily going anywhere unless he's told he has to. Eight years at Pitt. He's the second winningest coach in program history by this point. You know, we actually, it's funny you brought this up because Corey Geiger and I had a discussion about this in season on his radio show at Altoona when he was doing it. And the thing about Pat Narduzzi as Pitt's coach right now, when you like go into the lab and you draw up and you plan out what Pitt's football coach should look like, act like, sound like, how he should just carry himself, you get Pat Narduzzi. Like, is there a guy out there that fits the mold better for Pitt's football coach than Pat Narduzzi for the city of Pittsburgh, for the identity of that tough and tumble Pitt football. No, like Pat Narduzzi fits that mold perfectly. And for all of the crap that he gets unfairly, I might add about how, you know, he doesn't bring in the, the boom five-star recruits. He doesn't, you know, win 10 games every season. He's won 10 games, obviously, <laughs> you know, a couple seasons ago with the championship He's gotten to another ACC championship, which getting to two in eight years is not that bad, folks. I know you might look at Georgia and Clemson and Ohio State and all these powers, and it's like, well, where's our spotlight in the national scene? Let's pull the brakes on that because I understand that you want that, but also look at the talent he's put into the NFL draft. Look at the talent he's put into the pros. Look at the players that have come out of pit and have represented the school really well after playing for Pat Narduzzi. 
Look yeah. at the players, even last year, okay? Like a Kalijah Cansey and a Servasier Dennis, those two perfectly good ones. You know, they weren't, I think Servasier was a two-star recruit and Kalijah was a three. Like they weren't heralded coming out of high school. Kalijah comes out and becomes the best defensive player in the ACC and wins the award for it and then gets drafted in the first round of the NFL. Servasier Dennis, Pat Narduzzi had to get word from an athletic director to say, hey, go talk to this kid and then recruited him off of a dunk that he's had on a video. That was Servasier Dennis's recruitment story. He comes in and becomes a draft pick to the NFL and could be a good linebacker. So, like, this, this is something that doesn't happen in a lot of schools. And I, and I want right. to put that on the forefront of the brain is what I'm trying to say. What Pat Narduzzi's doing, to be at this, at this school for eight seasons, to put in as many pros as he has, to win like he has, and to just have this program stable, and not a lot of programs have that. So, you know, Pat, I think, will be here as long as he wants to be, to be honest. It with sure you. feels that way. And and if I have to say, again, we, we talk a lot about Heather Like She made a great bet because the program was not what it is now when she decided to extend him. And mm-hmm. I... I there's no way to look at it besides it was a good decision. Uh, This team really and truly has competed in, in a a conference that I didn't necessarily think they would. Now here's the, here's the drawback to it. And this happens with every program that has a long tenured head coach. There will be a point. I don't know when it's going to be. There will be a point where we say, okay, Pat's time is up. You know, it happens with yes. a lot of places where coaches are there forever. And then it's like, okay, he needs to go. There's an understanding of what he did. There's an understanding of how good he was currently is, but at a point it will be a was for this program and what he did for the program. And I don't think the majority of people, and this is sports fans in general, right? Like perfect example. Terry Francona. My dad's a diehard Guardians fan. I grew up a Guardians fan. So I'll use this example. Terry Francona is a Hall of Fame manager. Turned the Boston Red Sox around. Broke the curse, right? Took the Guardians from really irrelevant. Like they came out of the 90s really good. Early 2000s, decent. And then just awful late 2000s. And then Terry Francona comes along. Brings it back to the postseason. You know, 2013, they break. They get back in there get to the world series in 2016. Like Terry Francona has won as the guardians manager, but there are fans out there that think that there are better managers out there that could do a better job than Terry Francona, a hall of fame manager. At some point, every fan base goes through this where it's okay. I've had enough of this guy. Let's get him out. When does that happen for Pat Narduzzi? I don't know, but it feels like it's not going to be for at least another handful of years maybe i think he has as long as he wants to be he's what 50 i don't have the age of right 56 57 he's still young yeah he can go on for quite some time dave dave wanstadt was you know kind of the prototypical pittsburgh coach there for a minute and you know i could argue he was let go at the height of his powers like when he had the program right where he wanted it and we suffered Mm -hmm. for quite some time Mm -hmm on the on the track to Narduzzi. So we finally have it again and I and I, I feel that same level of comfort mm-hmm. right now. Difference is Narduzzi has actually gotten to the top of the conference. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's maybe why 
it feels more settled than it did back back in the day. You know, you could say it's just the ACC, but I think people forget how hard it is to win in college football and in, in power five college football. It is really hard to win football games in college football. Look at all the recruiting stuff we just talked about with Deion Sanders. Right. And this is for Colorado. This isn't USC. This yeah. isn't Oregon. This isn't Texas. This isn't, you know, Alabama. This is Colorado. We're talking about when it comes to recruiting, like for a school that has so much hype, like a Colorado, to like go through all of this mess with recruiting and with 70 players transferring out. I mean, the world would burn down if that happened at Pitt. I, I mean, like having, having something like that with Pat Narduzzi is unfathomable. So the fact that stable is the word, the program is stable with Pat Narduzzi as the head coach. The program is in good hands with Pat Narduzzi and yeah. his coaching staff. Like he's retaining all of his coaches from last year, save for a couple of GAs. That always happens. But like, He's retaining his, his whole coaching staff from last year. That that doesn't happen in college football. Like, I think the grass is greener in some places. And, like, when it comes to Pitt, I know they might not be in the college football playoff every year, but they're a winning program in this in this country. They're one of, what, six or seven teams to finish the, the 21 and 22 seasons with yeah. AP rankings? Like, that's a, a massive accomplishment. That hasn't happened since the 80s. Like, Give him his due. He, he earns his due. Pat Narduzzi has earned his due. For all the zany stuff he does and the unorthodox means, and, of course, the, the recruiting, you know, might not be looked at like in Alabama, like, he still has it on lock. Like, you need to give him credit for it. Oh, and that's why he earns the right to, to spout off sometimes <laughs> about things in college football. So, yeah. hey, anyways, Corey, hey, it was great to be back. Thanks for welcoming me back. And, uh, well, yeah. Anything? Anything else you wanted a parting shot here? You're, things people should read. You're see. always welcome back. You're always welcome back. Um, I wrote about the ACC last week. Um, wrote about Papa Conte a little bit. Um, I've been obviously focused on the the pro football team in town for you know the better part of the last couple of weeks. So that's kind of on the forefront right now. But we're going to get back into some you know a couple pit things over the course of the off season. I mean, we're in off season mode. It's Memorial Day weekend. Go out and enjoy your time. Uh, be safe doing it. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, more HB. Subscribe where podcasts are found. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. It's all there. Find us on YouTube, DK Pittsburgh Sports on Pitt. Subscribe to the site, DKPittsburghSports.com. $1 a month. That's a, that's a McChicken. That's one-sixth of a Starbucks coffee. See, I made my own iced coffee at home. For those watching the video stream, this is you know <laughs> generic gray plastic cup. But in this was homemade iced coffee. So I'm not going to Starbucks. I'm saving that, that that six bucks, you know, and I'm subscribing to the website for six people. So there you go. I'm, I'm, well, helping, go. Out, I'm helping out my own cause. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. All right, man. We always end the show the same way. H2P. Yeah.